Well, good morning and welcome to Faithbrook Church. Um, I'm Chrissy Thompson, our Children's and Family Director. We're so glad you're here with us, whether you're here in person or online. Welcome to you. Um, well, if you're newer with us here at Faithbrook, we would love you to grab one of these blue connection cards from the seat pocket in front of you. Fill that out and drop it in the giving box on the way out. And you can even keep the very nice pen. So go ahead and do that. Um, if you're online, <clears throat> you can go to faithbrook.church forward slash connect and we will connect with you there. So <clears throat> that's how we can get to know you. If you would like to get to know us better, we welcome you for after service. Up front here, we'll have our discovery so you can discover what Faithbrook is all about. Um, so please join us for that after service. We will be um, starting next week our new series, Rescue, all about God's redemption for our, his creation and his people. So that will lead us up to Easter, which is just around the corner. Um, and right now we are going to welcome our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we wrap up our series. Last time to hear this good jam session, Taking Care of Business. Good morning. How many of you have a place in your home that you kind of put dirty things or things that just kind of clutter your house? Maybe you have an unfinished part of your basement. You know, that's where the clunky things go. You might have a furnace. Maybe have your washer and dryer, right? Maybe, maybe it's a, a closet. Uh, growing up, we used to call our unfinished part of our basement the dirty part of the basement. I, I don't know. My dad had tools down there. Sometimes he'd be sawing things and stuff. But it was the dirty part. And we didn't let visitors back then. It was kind of private and stuff that just did, was kind of uh, abnormal or, or documented or storage, that's where it went to this dirty part of the basement. We just saw it kind of as we didn't want that to be out in the open, and it's kind of our business. Do you have a place like that, a closet or a basement or a room? Well, speaking of our business, we're coming to the conclusion of our series called Taking Care of Business, and I want to welcome you today so good to have you online. Maybe you're just like, hey, I'm traveling on spring break or the weather. Thank you for zooming in to us wherever you are at. Welcome, welcome to you who are here in person. And uh, didn't our boy band did, did well today, right? Let's give it up for our boy band here, right? They were rocking it. Helps me to worship. I love it because uh, Christ is exciting. His church should be exciting. And we want to welcome you today. Uh, well, as I said, we're coming to the conclusion of our, our series because there's a lot of things that are very personal to us. It's our business. But God wants our business to be his business. And so how do those interface? And the first subject we talked about is something that's very personal to us is, is our occupation, is, is our work. Now, some of you have the luxury to be retired. Congratulations. That's awesome. But uh, many of us are still working. And so how we do our work, and we learned that actually labor is from God and can be especially for God, how we do our jobs out there. The second thing we talked about is the, maybe the money or the wealth that it provides. Pretty soon, our money becomes very personal. It's our business 
to manage it. And when we looked in the word, we, we saw that, that God was looking for people who would manage wealth wisely, that would actually leverage for the goodness of society, goodness of especially the kingdom of God, if they leveraged it, managed it very wisely. Well, we also talked about generosity. Now, generosity is a nice word, but it's also pretty tough sometimes to give. And the backdrop was the Good Samaritan story, that there was a man on the side of the road that, that needed help, and some of the, the best people, right, just wasn't very generous, and they just avoided. They did not give of their time. They did not give of their finances for this poor guy that was hurting. And, and God wants us to see the needy corporately and individually and meet needs with our generosity, but generosity has to start from the heart. Last week, Pastor Taylor did a great job with talking about another uh, personal thing in our life is the, our speech and our words. It, many times we think it's our business, uh, what we get to say and who we say it to, but it matters to God, and your word should be worth their weight. Do we speak life? Are we careful with the words that we say? Now, this morning, I want to go to a place that's probably the most delicate, probably one of the most personal and dicey uh, subjects of our business, and that is the business of our pain. The business of our pain. What I'm talking about is the painful things that we've been through. It might have been 30 years ago. It might have been last month, last year. But every human has had to suffer some kind of loss, uh, incident, abuse, a betrayal, insult somewhere that we easily take these, these painful times and we find that, that unfinished part of our home, that closet, that dirty part, and stuff it away. And I would submit to you that, that we don't really manage our paint very well. We, we put a smile on our face, we try to survive life, but we still have this thing stewing, this memory, this damage, this brokenness that's kind of hidden away behind closed doors where we don't want anybody to see it. A lot of times, pain can come in different ways. There is loss and grief. Um, we just don't know what to deal with that shocking news of the person that we loved, uh, passed, and, and we, we carry that and try to recover from that. I, I found a lot of times pain can come from disappointments. So we have some expectations. Hey, our career, our marriage, our friendship, my health, this is what it's going to be like. This is what I'm expecting. And then reality slaps us in the face down here. And the, the, the distance or the gap between what we expected in life, that relationship, that career, and what we got all of a sudden brings a lot of emotions. There's, there's disappointment. There's frustration. It might be these expectations for your kids. It might be for your grandkids or, or your family members, and, and they're doing this. And next thing you know, that there's some disappointment, and there's some anger, there's some frustration, and we just kind of carry that and limp along. Maybe John Lennon said it well. One thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside. One thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside. And I would submit to you that, that a lot of times we can easily be crippled inside. Even though we're functioning on the outside, there's things going on. Does God care? Does, does, is, is our business his business? Well, I want to take you to a well-known passage in the New Testament um, written and shared by the 
um, John, disciple John in chapter four. This is the story about the woman at the well. Now, if you've been in church a long time, you've probably heard ministers preach this. Usually the woman at the well where Jesus engages this stranger is really a, a message about how we can befriend people that might not be uh, Christian might not have interest in Christ and how he just kind of engaged her and have a spiritual conversation. And eventually she came to enlightenment that, that she needed Christ in her life. Well, this morning, I'm going to take it from a different angle. I want to take it from her angle and her past, because I believe that she has some things in her past that are hidden away in her dirty basement and her hidden closet, some skeletons. So this is how John wrote it. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not John who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had, Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And John noted it was about noontime. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And John noted that his disciples had gone into town to buy food. They'd been traveling. They were hungry. Let's go get some food. Well, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, John wrote in here, the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. All right, so she knows this is just not usual. This is kind of weird. So she says, well, how is you as a Jew? Now, a little bit of background here. The, the, the Jews really detested Samaritans. They saw them as unclean, the ungodly. And so it was a really low-class move to even have a conversation, even have any kind of relationship with Samaritans. And all of a sudden, here's this Jewish man. Some might suspect that Jesus might have looked like a rabbi, maybe sophisticated. And here comes this Samaritan woman all by herself. And, she, and all of a sudden, this, this gentleman asks her for a drink. And she's like, you're definitely a Jew. This is weird why you're doing this, because you don't do that. And in fact, the custom was, or the, or the tradition was, that if you took something from a Samaritan, they had their hands on it, and they served you, and you touched that, you would be kind of seen as unclean. Uh, how dare you do take anything from some, a Samaritan, let alone he's a male, she's a female, and all of a sudden he's just kind of lowering himself to ask for this drink that was highly unusual, and she kind of calls him out. So Jesus answered her, well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for you a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, when he says, if you've known the gift of God, now if you go back in the Hebrew, that word can also mean salvation. So it could have easily, Jesus could have easily said it, if you knew the salvation of God, probably was um, communicating that her. If you really knew how to get to God, the salvation of God, and who it was that you're, who's asking you, she has no idea who he is. <laughs> she has no idea that he is the Christ, that he is God himself, his son of God, right in front of her, and he knows who he is. She doesn't. 
And he says, if you only knew, I am the way of salvation. I can give you this God. I, I have the, the capacity to offer you living water, not just ordinary, surface, earthly water. Well, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can I get this? Oh, she's intrigued by this living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So there's some historical precedence with this well. It goes all the way back into the, the Old Testament. And so she wants to kind of talk historically with them, right? And, and she knows this guy's a little bit different. So she's, she starts uh, kind of uh, debating him and kind of uh, going off track with a, a historical argument. Now, I would suggest that a lot of times when, when God starts approaching us by a spirit or maybe even a, a Christian approaches someone trying to engage them, a lot of times they'll start um, de- deflecting this, the argument into something more logical, uh, uh, religious thoughts, uh, theories. And here she's going down an argument of, of historical trail. I would also suggest to you that's the way that people kind of hide their baggage. They kind of hide their brokenness. I, I don't want to go there. It's in the back part of the basement in that room. And so let's, let's talk about other things. But well, Jesus is not going to give up on her. Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Jesus is offering her something very deep to her soul, something satisfying, something fulfilling. And the water I give them will become in them a spring of living of water welling up into eternal life. Can I suggest to this that the world can offer so many glitzy, fun things out there that are so pleasurable, but they're so temporary. And they will only last for so long while Jesus and Christ offers us something that is eternal, that will last forever. It's on the inside, not on the outside. This is what he's up to. And, and he's offering this spring. It, it's, it's bubbly. It's life-giving. It's contagious. It's, it's, this is what's welling up. You, you see Jesus talk about this later in John 10. He says, I've come to give you life and give you life to the full. The King James talks about the abundant life, the the life that starts from the inside, that we are free, we are forgiven. There is a power, there is a love that wells within us. This is when Jesus talks about being born again, that he comes inside of our life. This is why I get ramped up even in, in, in worship sometimes, because God is not boring. His love is not boring in us. Our worship should not be boring. Life should not be boring. And he's offering this, these eternal things versus this, this surface, ordinary, common water. Well, a lot of times we, we see life that way. Uh, we, we don't see the living water of Christ. We are always kind of looking around and finding arguments, maybe to, to drink from, from blaming others, staying busy, uh, uh, um, entertainment, because we want to avoid where Jesus is going. Jesus is going to her pain. Jesus is going to her soul. Jesus is going back to that, that closet where that skeleton is and the damage. And she doesn't hardly know it yet, but that's where God wants. But but we've learned that we don't drink from the living water. We drink from the ordinary ponds. I was um, 
over listening to a, a video the other day about this this Christian couple, and they were talking about their 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 spiritual journey and their early journeys, and and um, how one time they just had a painful time in their marriage, and they just hated each other and just split. Right? And she said, "I found myself at the end of a bar, just wanting to drink. I just wanted to get rid of the the pain. I just wanted to numb the circumstance. Right? And that's very common, right?" Some people drink alcohol to numb their pain. So some people chase pleasure. Some people are into pornography. Others are trying their, their career. We never really go, want to go back into that area where that painful, broken memory and circumstance is. So the woman says to him, Sir, well, give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty, have to keep coming here to draw water. She, she's still thinking physical water. Jesus is thinking spiritual. Jesus is thinking emotional. And now Jesus is going to get to her pain point. He told her, well, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, oh, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man now you have is not your husband. And what you have said, he says, it is true. You you don't... um, you don't have a husband. He, 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 he knows. She knows. He knows, right? It, it blows her mind. And so he, she says, sir, this woman said, I could see that you're a prophet. In other words, you're, you're a spiritual man. You're, there's something different about you. I just feel your essence. There's no way anybody could have known this. It's a perfectly good stranger. And here she is. Five husbands. And now she's on her sixth man. Now, friends, do you know anybody today that's had five husbands. Um, If you knew this person, uh, what would you think of this person? Uh, Would this person have any emotional problems maybe? Would they have a reputation? Would this be someone that you would want to hang out with and be best friends if they had five husbands? Something has to be wrong with them, right? And this is how she's thinking of herself. Obviously, something that has gone around. Can, Can you imagine... Um, her shame, her uh, um, uh, emotions, and her embarrassment around Jesus that he knows that she's had five husbands. See, there's a reason why she's out there at noon all by herself. It's the, it's the middle of the day. It's the heat of the day. Uh, traditionally, uh, the ladies would come out together in a group early in the morning to beat the heat or later at night, but she's all alone because I'm sure back in the village, she is that woman. She's the one that's messed around. She's the one that has the reputation. And uh, how many insults, how many people have avoided her? How many times has she been pressed down, uh, scolded, and there's a scorn that's around her? And so she carries her jar out by herself. Because a lot of times pain and embarrassment and shame move us into isolation. We don't want to be around people. They might see our skeletons. They might know our shame and our sin. And, and we'd rather just deal with our pain and loss all by ourselves. And that's where she is. And that's exactly where Jesus is. To meet her in her pain. She's been through five men. Now she's on her six men. Now it's easy to say, oh, it's probably her, Right? Uh, she's probably had affairs on her husband's or maybe they have had affairs on her. Something that's not right and shame on her, right? At least I'm not like her. But her vice was relationships. 
Do you know anybody that's had a weakness towards uh, other, uh, maybe men or women? That's where they go. But a lot of times we go maybe to other places, do we not? Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's isolation. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's just staying busy with pleasures and entertainments because we, we don't know how to deal with that crippled pain within we're not sure about ourselves and our self-worth and, and our confidence and our esteem. And, and there she is all alone. Sir, I can tell you're a little bit different. But she's not really to open up her heart. She's not really to just say, yeah, you, you caught me. I got problems. I need salvation. I need this living water. She has, she's not going there yet. In fact, she starts debating him religiously. Oh, verse 20, our ancestors worship here on the mountain, but you Jews, you claim that this place we must worship in Jerusalem. Do you know anybody that if you've ever got close to them with the, the, the real things of life, spiritual things that they always have some justification. They always have some rationale that's, you know, I'm not religious and, you know, this church believes this and uh, this is my philosophy and I can tell there's not evidence here and there's, there's atheism and agnosticism and, there, and there's justifications and all kinds of religious arguments, right? But, but I think a lot of times their hearts might have been damaged. They've been lied to or something and we pull back. A lot of times, some of the, the, the most painful times in our life has been our family members, a family member that said something, that done something to us. Maybe, maybe it's been a friend. Maybe it's been a, a work incident. And before you know it, you just kind of subconsciously or consciously pull back and say, you know, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and be by myself. I'm not going to ever allow myself to be loved anymore because someone could stamp on it. Someone could hurt me and damage me. Every time we might reach out to someone, we might get rejected. There's another betrayal. There's another failure. There's another disappointment. And so we hold back. We go to the wells by ourselves. We just kind of seek isolation. C.S. Lewis talked about this. Now, there's a quote about isolation and, and protecting our heart. He says, there is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all engagements. Lock it up safe in casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket... Safe, dark, motionless, airiness, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, unpenetrable, and irredeemable. That's what he said. And that's so common, right? Hey, man, I can't trust anybody. I've been burned before, so I'm just going to hold my pain, stuff it down into the closet, stuff it back in that, that basement. This is what this woman's doing. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming where you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. He's a Jew. It's right in front of her. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. 
Now, she is still debating him. But Jesus is pressing past the arguments, past the pain. He wants to get to her heart. He wants to bring healing. So he's moving towards her in an emotional, spiritual way. But she's still struggling. The woman said, well, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, when he comes, will explain everything to us. She has enough Jewish heritage to know that there is this Messiah. There is this deliverer for the people of the Jews in the world. I know he's coming, right? And then Jesus drops this bomb. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. All that you have heard from your grandparents and your aunts and uncles and this this hope and dream of this Messiah, I'm sitting right in front of you. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And right there, the lady woke up. There was a connection. Something started to flicker inside her heart and her soul of love and a, <coughs> and a light and a healing started coming to her. So she wasn't exactly sure who he was and if he was the Messiah, but she knew that this man was different than all the other men that she's had relationships with. There was something holy. There was something pure. There was something. He wasn't asking anything from her. He wasn't condemning her, expecting something from her. He just loved her. All of a sudden, John says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever did. He knows me. And Jesus knows you. He knows your skeletons. He knows where you're hurt and where insulted and your disappointment and the pain and loss in your life. Could this be the Messiah? She, she's struggling to get her head around this. She's starting to connect the dots. And, and then she's proclaimed to everyone, come, come out and come out. They came out of town and made their way towards him. She's processing this, right? He knows his, her shame. But he, she knows that he's special. She didn't, he didn't condemn her. He didn't judge her. But there was love and mercy. He saw the value in her. Now what's interesting is that John writes that the disciples returned and they were surprised finding Jesus talking to a woman. And so they're kind of walking up. They got their groceries. Maybe they stopped by Chick-fil-A. I don't know. And they got a, a Chick-fil-A sandwich for Jesus right under much. And all of a sudden, it's this, all of a sudden, this awkwardness. This woman's walking away. She's probably got tears in her eyes. And Jesus standing there like, mm, what's going on? Right? And then he says, oh, yeah, but, but no one asked, oh, what do you want? And no one dared to ask, why are you talking to her? Everybody's just like, shut up right? Something is going on here. And really, these guys missed it. Jesus was meeting the needs and reaching into this woman's deepest pain in her life. And these guys were so busy feeding their faces and taking care of their needs, but they missed the need that was being taken out by the well. And what we discover in this special event here is that our pain is God's business. Whatever your pain, my pain, those personal things that have happened that we don't share publicly, God knows. And our pain becomes his business to take care of and to heal. Have you ever experienced pain in your life? I'm not talking so much about physical pain. I'm talking about emotional pain. Have you ever been insulted, pushed to the back? Have you ever had a family or family members so disappoint you and hurt you? 
say things that it just just it presses your soul down. Sure, you, you, you get up every morning, you do your thing, go to work, but there's these memories and you try to avoid them. You try to just put them back there in that storage area where you don't want anybody to see and, and we just continue to go forth, right? And, and then we wonder why we're not very confident and victorious and courageous in our life. Could it be that there's these things that are always dragging us down? I appreciate what John Watson said. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting in hard battle. A lot of times people think they, they, they got, oh man, I don't need God. I got the world by the tail. I'm so successful. I'm so confident. Everything's just perfect in my life. But, but if we went to the back of their basement, if we went back to those closets, I, I can assure you there's probably some incidences that they're also carrying. And the good news is, is that Jesus approaches us if we allow him to help us process and heal our pain. So I want to encourage you, if, if you want to live more confident and whole in your life, what can we do about some of our personal pain? It's our business, but now God wants us to make it his business. Can I give you two things? Number one is I want to encourage you to process your pain. See, I would suggest to you that we don't do this very well. We don't know how to process pain. It used to be, it's just like, well, you, you need to go see a counselor, okay? A lot of times, well, I don't want to go to a counselor. That means something's broken and I'm whacked out. I'm not going to go see a counselor, right? And then we, we, we have a whacked out life, right? But we're not willing to humble ourselves and say, can you help me unwind some of the situations that goes through my head and what I'm dealing with, with doubt and insecurities, et cetera? So, so you can go to the counselor. You might want to journal some things. Uh, you, you might find a trusted friend because we know this. The heart of God wants to bless us. In fact, in Matthew, um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn. In other words, those who are crying, those who are in pain, for they shall be comforted. This is what Jesus demonstrated to the woman on the well. He wants to comfort you. He wants to be your source. He wants to be your doctor. He wants to, to heal you and help you. And sometimes we have to self-discover. Sometimes we got to open the lid. Sometimes we got to go back to that closet and we got to pull out that box. We got to pull out that memory. We got to pull out that, that brokenness and that damage and that abuse and let God heal it and process it. One of the things some people taught me, and I've taught this before, what I do personally, and I want to encourage you to help process some pain or disappointment, is ask four questions, okay? Uh, not to avoid it, but just identify. Number one question is, what happened to me? Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you found that your, your spouse was having an affair on you. Maybe, maybe you found your kids were, were experimenting with drugs. I don't know, something which just like set you back, right? Caused fear and hurt and loss. What happened? Just kind of identify that, right? You know, my dad did this or wasn't there or someone to office took this and undermined me. I, my kid said this to me and, and, and this is what happened. Let's just get it out there on the table. Be honest. Second thing is, is what am I feeling and why? Let's just kind of identify these, these feelings. You know, if the truth of the matter is, I, I'm, I'm feeling like a failure. 
I, I, I feel like, you know what, uh, I'm a loser. I feel like I did something wrong. I, I feel like, you know, it's all my fault. Uh, sometimes I, I just feel rejected. I feel lonely. We have all these feelings, and, and, and this, is, this is honest stuff. You go back in the Psalms, especially in the Old Testament, you'll see uh, some, some uh, good Christian people, if you will, emoting their feelings and saying, you know, God, if you want it all, here's the truth of the matter is I'm feeling mad. <laughs> I'm feeling angry. How could you allow this? Why are my enemies um, uh, being successful and I'm the one going backwards? I don't get it. And you just emote these feelings. Third is what are the lies? And this is important. What are the lies that I am believing? Because this is where Satan comes. He just loves to lie to us. And so we just, we start having these thoughts through our mind. You know, something's wrong with me. It must be my fault. I must have been a bad parent. Uh, God doesn't love me. I'm the one that chose these sinful acts. I'm the one that stepped into these relationships and, and God doesn't want me. I'm sure the woman at the well was like, you know what? God would never want to have me as his daughter. It's those other women that kept it together. I'm on my sixth guy. No, no way, Right. We have a lot of these lies. Sometimes we feel like we're unforgivable. We're damaged goods. And a lot of times we're like, well, then I got to prove myself. I got to make sure everyone's happy. I got to prove that I'm successful. So I have some value and we're working hard, trophies and, and accomplishments and strength, right? Look at me. I am valuable. These are the lies we tend to believe. And the fourth question, probably the most important is, hey, what is the truth? What is the truth? Now, I would, I would suggest to you, a lot of times we cannot trust our emotions. We got a lot of feelings. We got a lot of lies spinning through our head. And so where can we get substance? Where can we get the truth? We can go to the word of God that doesn't lie. And so we got to remind us of the truth. Oh, yes, God died for me. He does love me. If anyone would repent and come after me, I shall have eternal life. You go in the Word of God on your, on your digital phone or your hard copy phone and you, and you highlight. For instance, Psalms 147. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's the truth. That This is the heart of God that wants to come into our souls, wants to come into our past and heal up the brokenness. What that person did to me or what that group said about me. The word bind means to heal that I don't have to be the same person I was 30 years ago. I don't have to be the same person I was three months ago. I can be healed in Jesus' name. Yes, the word of God says that he will never leave me nor forsake me. The word of God says I don't have to succumb to fear and anxiety because I am a child of God. We, we sang about that this morning. One of my favorites is the truth of Romans 8. Verse, uh, Romans 8, verse 38. This is Paul. He's coming to the conclusion of one of the, my favorite chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. And he says this, for I am convinced. Now, when he, words, he uses the word convinced, he's thought about this. He's processed. He's thought about it all. And he's come to this conclusion that, you know what? I am convinced that neither things in my life could happen, okay? Neither death nor life. Death is pretty serious. That's a bad thing for a lot of people. <laughs> neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future. Is anybody anxious about the future? Does anybody worry about the future and the world and our finances and our work, etc.? I'm convinced. You know what? Here's the truth. That neither now or in the future, and let's throw in any other things can happen in our life, the powers, 
And neither the height nor the depths. Ever been, anybody been in the dark, the valleys? I'm convinced if anything else in all creation will be able, here's the truth, separate me from the love of God. My friends, you can take this to the bank. The nothing shall separate from the love of God that will come after you. And then my favorite part, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul gives it a face, right? So many times we think generically, oh, God loves me, God loves me. But God wants to bring it personally to his son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus loves me, this I know. He is Jesus, the God on the cross, and died and suffered for us. This is how he knows. I'm convinced that God loves me, and that is in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the same son that showed up at that well, not accidentally, but on purpose. Jesus knew this woman was coming out. And he knew that this woman had been through six different men. But this woman never met the seventh man. And that man, Jesus, was different. Because this man would love her for who she was. Even in her shame and brokenness and embarrassment and ugliness. Jesus wanted to be her shepherd, her comforter, her king, her savior. He was willing to engage her past, engage her pain, engage her embarrassment, that her pain would be his business, God's business. And his love would be sufficient. His love and grace would redeem her and restore her and bring her to health and healing. That's why she started running back to her village. I found the man. I think this is the one. He knows me. He loved me. He didn't try to take advantage of me. He wasn't asking anything from me. I didn't have to perform for him. He was all love running towards me. I was at a conference last uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, one of the speakers, Albert Tate, was sharing this story about God's amazing love that builds into our worth. And he says, uh, I was putting my little girl to bed, and I was... Um, praying over her and we have a tradition of I have a tradition of just singing that beautiful song you are my sunshine my only sunshine you make me happy when skies are gray you'll never know dear how much I love you please don't take my sunshine away that little girl you've been there maybe you've sung that over your daughter or your son sunshine just the amazing amount of love that we sit here for our kids. Please don't take that sunshine away. For this woman at the well, men and relationships have taken her sunshine away, and Jesus was stepping into her sunshine. Albert Tate was saying that after um, singing that song, he comes into the bedroom, and his wife's there laying in the bed, and she's in tears. She's wiping away tears. And, and he addresses her and says, well, why are you crying? Is something wrong? Did I do something wrong? What, what's going on? And, and, and she, she, she started sharing. She says, honey, I just, I just, I'm so thankful when I hear my husband praying over my daughter's life and singing that song. I'm so thankful that he, you care for our daughter and love her. He, she says, but the honest truth, a lot of times it triggers me. Because it reminds me, when I was her age, I did not have a daddy who sang over me. I didn't have someone that reminded me how much they valued me. And I was their sunshine. And there was a lot of abandonment and there was a a lot of insecurities growing up. I didn't have that. 
See, Christ sees us like that little girl, and he sings that over us. No matter what our past is and how many times we've failed him, how many shameful things we've done or people have suppressed us and insulted us, God sees us as his son and daughter, as sunshine. And he's, please don't take my sunshine away. I just wanted to offer this to you that we have a Jesus that doesn't need us to perform and be perfect and not have any warts and embarrassments and failures in our life. But he says, man, I, I'll just take you as you are. I don't need your accomplishments. I just want you. I just want you. And I've come all the way to this earth and I'm going to go to a cross for you. You are my sunshine. We found a song the other day about the power of that name of Jesus. It's claiming that truth that God does love us no matter how broken and hurtful and pain that we have suffered. God is there. And in his name of Jesus, there is power to redeem, to restore, to forgive, and power to heal. This song that Taylor's going to sing is about breaking strongholds. I've had some strongholds in my past that I was embarrassed to maybe share. It's just me between me and God, right? And God does heal. God does forgive and wash away that I don't have to live there anymore. But we can live in the power of Jesus' name. Our worth and our value is through him. Why don't you just kind of listen, sing along if you want, and if you want, and then we'll we'll pray together. Let let the Holy Spirit minister to you, because that's the second thing that God wants to do in your life, is to let the Holy Spirit move close and minister to you, because our pain is His business. I'd encourage you uh, to close your eyes. Maybe online, if you just take a minute to close your eyes. There might be some strongholds that you've kind of buried, some pain that you've been carrying. And God wants to burn like fire, to destroy, to heal, to eliminate the crippling effect on your life. If I know my Jesus, I know his Holy Spirit. He's been waiting all week to speak this truth in your life, to bring his healing and his love and his grace, whoever you are, from in this hall to throughout the digital world, whoever's watching. With your eyes closed, can you just see Christ loving you enough to address your pain, those incidences, those words that people said to you, those actions, or even actions that you took. There is life and there is healing. Holy Spirit, would you just bring a cleansing power and fire from our past, whatever we're hiding, whatever's broken us, whatever we're embarrassed about, God. Maybe there might be some people that are watching or here that think they're unforgivable, 
that you look past them, you look away from them. But God, you wanna restore their heart. You want to heal them and by faith they can just receive and say yes to you, Jesus. I, 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 I see that, that I'm your little girl. I'm your little boy. I am your sunshine. I receive that. And by your blood, you have washed away my sins. You have washed away these decisions. You have washed away these choices. And I'm new and I'm free in you. And Father, through your Holy Spirit, we, we don't have to live in the past. We don't have to live. We can clean out our closets. We can clean out our basements and just let it go and just press it away. If it ever comes to lie to us, attack. I'd lie and attack us again to be whole and free in you. Now I'm going to ask us to stand and we're going to close out. And I want to encourage you, if you can, if you want, just to close your eyes and think over the incidences and people in your family, maybe your grandkids, maybe your children are up against some things that they're doubting. They might have some damage and brokenness and they're in the balance we're just going to speak the name of jesus over them there might be people down the street there might be relatives but we speak and believe in the power of jesus and his holy spirit you're welcome to just kind of close your eyes as as taylor sings a song about the power of jesus that you can break strongholds that you can come down like a fire, God, and heal us and forgive us and restore us. May we do our best to live for you, God, and live into that truth, not the lies, not the feelings, but the truth of your amazing love and strength and confidence, God, through our lives. And may we go out today into the highways and the byways, into our workplaces and our community areas, God. And may we share the good news by our lives and good deeds and maybe speak truth into people's lives who are damaged and hurting and, and broken, God, that there is hope through you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you that you take care of our business, God, including our pain. Help us now as we go in your power and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.